Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to our podcast series. This is Jim Mitchell, and I'm pleased to be with you again for another timely conversation on the law. Uh, joining me this week will be Emil Elkas, who, as you know, that uh, means our focus will be on matters of family law. Uh, Emil, a, a partner at Lavelle Law, has joined me for previous podcasts and always shares some very valuable information during his appearances. Now, today, uh, Emil and I are going to talk about enforcing child support orders. He'll share with us uh, some of the remedies when court order plans perhaps are not being adhered to, and we'll also talk about some basic background information on child support and uh, some of the things that go along with that. So I think we've got a lot to cover. Let's go ahead and dive in. First of all, Emil, nice to talk to you again. Thanks for being here. Uh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So indulge me, if you will, with, with just a few basic questions on child support. And as we approach this topic, um, you know, there's related discussions we've had in the past. But in this case, when we talk about child support, we're talking about agreements that would have been forged out of, uh, say, a divorce or a paternity suit. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. So in a divorce proceeding or a paternity action where there are minor children involved and uh, custody has been adjudicated, uh, you know, usually the person that does not have possession of the kids on a, on a, uh, on a either permanent basis or just, you know, almost majority time basis, uh, that person will be receiving support from the non-possessing uh, parent. Okay. And I'm glad you mentioned that because when we think about divorce or these types of situations, there there is a real distinction between custody and support. And today we're talking about support, right? Correct. Okay, so let, let's talk about that. Um, if if child support um, covers financial care of a child or children, um, explain to me then how a court might determine what amount is to be paid each month. Is there a, is a formula, a factor, or is it different from case to case? Uh, no, child support is actually a formula that's set forth by the statute, um, so the divorce statute. Um, it, it tells basically it's set forth in a percentage and it, it all depends on the number of children that a, uh, a couple has for example one child uh, the the person that's obligated to pay support will pay 20 percent of their net income if it's two children it goes up to 28 percent uh, three children it's 32 percent and it, it increases you know so forth every time you know so once we get to five children or more you cap out at 50 percent of your uh, net income, and there's a formula also to figure out what a person's quote net income is. Um, so that is set forth by statute, and really there is no, uh, it's not really that flexible. Uh, in some mm-hmm. situations, a court may deviate from that uh, from that formula, but typically they adhere to it. And is that one of your tasks uh, as an attorney representing one of the parties to make sure that that net income is is calculated appropriately yes and and that could be uh, one of the issues that is litigated heavily in a case is uh, determining what a person's true net income is and you know because a a party would need to know that 
uh, in order to, to actually set forth the correct amount of support. And, and of course, that will change almost every year when a person either you know, gets a raise, gets a bonus, uh, loses a job. You know, so that's something that's always you know, fluctuates, so to speak. Um, but, yes, I, you know, one of the key roles that an attorney will do in a divorce proceeding or a paternity case is um, calculate what a person's net income is. And, and sometimes that's done by agreement of the parties. You know, a party will just agree that this number is it. Um, others don't. And those are the more complex cases. And then once that support amount is calculated by this formula, um, I assume that becomes part of the agreement. And at that point, it really needs to be abided by by both parties in its entirety, right? I mean, that's that's sort of a, a law, you know, to them a law, and they need to follow it, and monthly payments need to be made accordingly. Correct. Right. Right. So it's not a recommendation as to what it should be. I mean, that's the exact amount that person has to pay. And you know, most most of the time, it's it's paid on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's not. So if somebody's employed and they receive, let's say, uh, two paychecks every month, it'll be paid in in the same manner that the person receives the income. So in that situation where somebody's getting two paychecks a month, um, you know, support will be based on a monthly amount. However, he'll be paying uh, every two, you know, twice a month. Mm-hmm. So they'll just take that number and divide it by two, and, and that's what the other parent will receive. Well, let, let's focus on our topic today, which is you know some of the ramifications then of a parent who is not abiding by the support order. What what happens in those instances? Uh, in those cases, a person that's not paying support, you know, that's something that the other parent will have to you know, pursue in court. You know, there, there's no sort of fallback in terms of what you can do automatically. So anything that occurs in those situations where you know, a person's not paying or a person is seeking to modify the dollar amount, either increase it or lower it, uh, you have to file a petition. Uh, but in, in this particular case, if a person's not paying child support, usually what will happen is the other parent will contact them and then they get a response, and then they, they would file what's called a petition for rule of show cause. And what that does is you're asking the court to bring this person in and explain to the court why they're not paying. And if that person doesn't have a reasonable excuse, they're held in contempt of court and could, you know, worst-case scenario, face jail time. And and what does the state do, you know, through the court system and try and make sure it gets enforced? Are there certain things that they can do to uh, bring the person back in line in terms of making those payments? Um, there are. So there's two avenues that a person could use to... To, to get in front of a judge in terms of, you know, a non-paying parent. So, for example, you know, a person can hire a private attorney like our, like our law office here, and we'd file a petition for rule of show cause and, you know, try to hold that person in contempt. The other avenue that a, a non uh, – so a person that's not receiving support can do is they can contact the state's attorney's office, and there's a division um, – it's like the Child Support Enforcement Division. They can pursue – um, people that are not paying support, they have a little bit more sort of you know power, so to speak, than a private attorney does. They can suspend a driver's license, they can intercept tax returns, um, so that they have a little bit more leeway or a little bit more authority, so to speak, than we as private attorneys do. But the end result is usually the same: you know, get the person in court, have them address the court as to why they're not paying, and if there is no reasonable excuse, so to speak, that a judge can find then that person either, they're, they're usually thrown in jail. 
and the way they get out of jail is by paying an amount that is owed to the other parent. Our conversation today is, is focused on child support payments and uh, some of the events that, that may follow if, a, if one of the parent, the uh, parent who is responsible for uh, providing the financial support isn't upholding their end of the agreement. Uh, I'm joined by attorney Emil Elkas of Lavelle Law. Uh, Emil is a partner there. Uh, he was also one of the recipients of a rising star designation by Super Lawyers Magazine. And that's a form of recognition that puts him in, in the literally top 5% of attorneys throughout the state here, as selected by his peers, which is great recognition. So I'm, I'm fortunate to have him with me talking about some of this today. Now, uh, Emil, you talked about the two avenues that are going through a private attorney and a state's attorney. Naturally, if someone is uh, looking for those payments to come in and, and they're not being found, that can be very detrimental. I mean, obviously, uh, the custodial parent may not have other income. Is this process uh, pretty quick? I mean, should they respond quickly, and, and do the courts then take action right away to try and get this rectified, or can it drag out a little bit? Uh, you know, unfortunately, it, it can drag out a little bit, especially in a situation where you have the other person challenging or, or defending themselves against the petition. And in those cases, you know, there, there's usually a reason or an excuse as to why they didn't pay, so either a job loss or lack of income or whatever it is, and that's something that, you know, there's a discovery process that occurs in these types of cases. So you're exchanging documents, your financial documents, your pay stubs, your tax returns, your bank statements, and that process could take, sometimes it could take three weeks, sometimes it could take six months. You know, that that's the portion of the case that if a person really wanted to drag it out, they could, um, but courts are aware of this tactic, and, you know, usually... Um, they could, you know, to get in front of a judge and ha have an actual hearing on a petition, on a contempt petition, it could be relatively quick. But unfortunately, there are cases where that sort of drags out because of the other side is, you know, stalling, so to speak, or or just, you know, burdening the, the other side with documents and, and forcing them to prove that support wasn't paid on a timely basis or wasn't paid because of, you know, something outside of a reasonable excuse. Now, if, if finances are a concern for the petitioner, you know, the first thing they may look at is, wow, if I, if I go through an attorney, if I go into court, this is going to cost me money. Um, is that the case? Does, does the person who is bringing the, the action end up having to pay some additional costs then as well? Well, uh, yes and no. So if you go through the state's attorney's office, um, that, that's a free service that's provided by the state. So there wouldn't be, a, a, quote, attorney's fees from that portion. Um, from the private attorney's perspective, there are attorney's fees uh, that the attorney can recover against the other litigant if they're held in contempt. So if we go through a proceeding and the court finds that the person did not have a reasonable excuse and was held to be, you know, has willfully violated the court order, uh, they're labeled as being held in contempt, and once we have those buzzwords, the statute automatically sa it says we get attorney's fees automatically. So it's not an issue mm -hmm. of may get attorney's fees. You do get them. The only issue is how much. So a lot of these cases, you know, the, 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 the person that is to receive the support is not getting it. The fact that they have to go find an attorney and hire this person and pay them just to get an order enforced is something that the legislator said, should be reimbursed back to them from the other party. 
And just to be clear, do payments for child support, do they carry up until a child is 18, or is there a, a cutoff in, in that's always the same? Uh, child support is paid until the child's 18. However, if they're still in high school while they're 18, then it, you pay it until the completion of high school. So it's 18 or completion of high school, whichever is later, whichever is okay. last to occur. All right, so we've got about a minute left, and I'm just going to throw one thing out here for you. It's a little different than what we've talked about, but it's sort of the flip side of the scenario. And it's a parent who is making payments on time and in the amount required, and yet they may feel that the custodial parent is not using the money as agreed upon, you know, that they're not using it for the best interest of the child. It's being used for other reasons. I assume that that parent shouldn't just stop making payments, but instead should maybe get in touch with their attorney. Is, is that a process that you see occasionally as well? Um, you know, child support is not really accounted for, so a court does not require a parent to spend, um, you know, the entirety of the child support payment on the child. It, it's based on just the child's needs, so to assist with paying the mortgage or the utilities, you know, anything that deals with the child. So the fact that you have to house the child and feed them, um, those are all necessary and reasonable expenditures. You know, you know, if you have a situation where the parent can prove that this person is receiving child support and they're using it to make their car payments, um, you know, that could be a little bit questionable. But typically, a court does not require a parent to account on where those dollars are exactly going for. You know, are they being used for the child? Are they not? Courts don't really care, typically. Interesting. All right, well, uh, again, I kind of uh, broached a new topic there, so maybe we'll save that for another time. It's always great to have Emil with us, and I want to thank him for taking the time to uh, to join me today. Now, if you'd like to find out more about the practice, uh, you can find uh, Emil's profile at lavellelaw.com, and uh, you also get additional information there about the family law practice. If you have a question, if you're interested in following up, 847-705-7555 is the number. And at uh, Lavelle Law, they'll uh, promise that you'll always get a chance to talk to an attorney when you call in. So 847-705-755. And I want to thank Emil for being with us. And, of course, thank you for listening as well. And we'll talk to you again next time. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com.